0: Today, the title of the message is Loopholes, because we all love loopholes. Like, we all like ways of getting around a rule or a law that we don't like. I know the blues in the crowd, you like the rules and laws, so, uh, but we all like a way of getting around a rule or a law. Uh, We definitely love a loophole that gets us out of trouble, right? So like this moment of authenticity, how many of you have been pulled over by the police more than once in your lifetime? All right. Very good. Thanks for that honesty. All right, you bunch of heathens uh, for that have had this, you know, you get the lights flashing in the background, you know, and the officer takes your license, and then they go back to their car, right, and it's all dark. You want to see what they're doing, and you begin praying, whether you kind of believe in God or not, and you're praying, uh, you know, please God, not a ticket, not a ticket, uh, I'll never speed again, because when they come back to your window, what are you praying that they give you? A warning. Yes, that's right. Uh, so we love a loophole. We love the loophole that, there's, that they can give us a warning instead of the ticket that we deserve, right? And we love loopholes, right? We love a technicality or a rule that gets us out of trouble or out of doing something that we don't really want to do or not being held accountable to something that we really don't want to be held accountable to. Uh, and we love a loophole where we can kind of tell the truth and look better than we really are. And it begins young. Uh, I, I remember uh, as a boy, uh, one of my grandparents was a was a professional fishing guide, which you know was cool. I had like a cowboy rancher grandfather and a fishing guide grandfather. It was a great world to live in so uh, but i my grandfather he was always you know i saw how impressed he was with catching big fish because that 's what fishermen write so uh, I remember walking along one of the docks uh, that was out on their property there and where other fishermen you know put their boats and then they had baskets in the water where they 'd put their catch. Uh, and so you'd see this fish. And one day I was down there and like there was their basket just full of these huge black bass. And I thought how impressed my grandpa would be if I showed him, though I was able to show I caught this big black bass. And so uh, I looked around, nobody's looking. So I get down. It took me like five minutes. I finally got one of those big suckers and I run up and I, I show my grandpa, look at the bass I caught. Now, technically I was not lying, right? Uh, the problem was the guy who owned the, the, had caught the fish saw me doing it and that's a whole other story. So... Uh, but, you know, or early in my Christian walk, quite honestly, I was greedy. You know, there's just, 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 just no way around it. You know, it's, and then even after I became a Christian, I was still greedy. I just didn't give money. And so as, when I became a Christian and decided to go into ministry, I'm like, you know, God, I'm, I'm giving you my whole life. Like, what do you need my money for? Like, you're welcome. So I yeah, just, you know, and I created this loophole into where I didn't need to be generous with my finances. And all religious people love loopholes, especially every religion has a book uh, or a document or a list in some sort of system, and when it gets really, really difficult, you find a loophole so that you don't actually have to do what your book says. This is true of all religions, whether it's Christianity or Islam or Judaism. It's just you find people who say, here's what it says, but here's what I do. Here's what it says. Here's what I do. And they can explain it away and kind of turn it sideways and say, here's why I'm okay. And if you, if you grew up Catholic, you know, you had a great one. It's called confession. It's like, uh, you know, I was just so jealous of my Catholic friends because they could just go out and sin like crazy and bring their sin bucket to the priest and kind of dump it out on the priest and then leave with the bucket empty and just go back and fill it up again. It's like, that's awesome. Now, my friends are abusing their system, okay, but it worked great. If you grew up in the Baptist tradition, you had a version of this as well, but you skipped the priest because you had a verse, 1 John 1.9. Because First 1 John 1, 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So maybe you were taught if you fill up your sin bucket, you go home, you get on your knees and say, Jesus, I want to confess all of my sins. And in that moment, God forgives you, your, give, forgives you of your sins. And better than that, he forgets them. So then when you come back the next night, get on your knees and say, God, I did it again. He goes, did what again? So it's just like awesome, right? And then there's like super liberal Christians and they've got like this great big loophole. It's like they run into something they don't like and go, you know what? ah, we, we don't really believe Jesus said that, or we think that was just oral tradition over hundreds of years. And just, we just kind of discard that. And it's kind of like, well, why even be a Christian? But, but the point is, Christians, we love loopholes. And anytime time we run into something we don't like or we don't want to do, you know, we just close our eyes or we ignore it, or we just find somebody that's written a book that agrees with what we believe Right, It's just like, oh, that was just cultural. They didn't misunderstand you know, understand, you know, uh, human thought or psychology or human sexuality or whatever. And we just love loopholes. The other thing Christians love is theology. Loophole Christians love theology. And the reason why is because you can build a barricade between you uh, having to do the very thing that Jesus or Paul or Peter or John or Jesus said, what the text actually says to do. I know people who can, I know Christians that can quote chapter and verse, and they love to post on social media. They love to berate the shortfalls of modern Christianity and churches, but they don't lift a finger to help the under resourced. They, they, they have no compassion for the lost, only judgment. All kinds of horrible things have happened in the name of theology. People have been enslaved and kept in slavery in the name of theology, people were burned at the stake. In the name of theology, wars have been justified in the name of theology because they could point to a verse and show how they were technically correct. Because with a loophole, you're technically correct. And we all battle this. I battled this in my own life. Early on, uh, my wife and I, when we first met, we were kind of had a whirlwind romance. I was 19, she was 21. Yes, she's older than me. Uh, we fell in love, you know, fast. We got engaged quickly. Uh, we, but we set a wedding date that was over a year away. And the way I've always said it is we knew just enough Bible to be dangerous. We we're kind of like a first semester psychology student. You know, it's like, oh, I've got all the answers and they an- analyze you. Uh, deep down, we knew that the only context where sexual intimacy was truly okay in God's eyes was the context of being married. So early in our relationship, our thought process went like this. You know, we're obviously committed to each other, and it doesn't really say in the Bible that you have to have a wedding ceremony to be married. So maybe we can just like pray a prayer. We'll be like secretly married in God's eyes, right? Like we were so young and dumb. So, uh, but as much as we played the loophole, Oddly, we knew we need to keep it a secret. Intuitively, we knew, you know, we can't really tell our new church friends because they couldn't, wouldn't understand. I mean, but God understands, and He hears our prayers, so we've got this special deal between us and God, so that way we can be as intimate as much as we want uh, because we're technically right, right? And see, that's the deal. Loophole Christians, they're not doing anything wrong, but followers of Jesus ask a different set of questions, And they quit looking for loopholes and justifications and workarounds uh, for their actions and choices and behaviors because it is dangerous to be a loophole Christian. Because as we've said through this series, you can be a Christian and believe anything. You can be a loophole Christian and get away with anything that you want. In fact, you know, I sent out the message yesterday, just kind of a little hors d'oeuvre as far as this building. Uh, Many of you know, but some of you don't, that in the early 90s, this building was built by one of the largest church communities in Wichita. And in only about three or four years, uh, what happened was it essentially evaporated overnight. Now, and now how does that happen? Well, it happens because one of the senior leaders and then ultimately the senior pastor uh, were flying back and forth to San Antonio to meet with, with the Mexican drug cartel leader and agreed to launder $10 million through the church as long as the church got a tithe. As long as the church gets a million bucks, like, you know, at least that way it's being used for good. And, and you know, you, you look at that and go, okay. How does that happen? Okay, well, first off, that didn't happen overnight. Like, a person doesn't get to that level of decision-making without a series of small, loophole Christian thinking because they were Christians. You know, An affair. Christians have affairs. Big shocker, right? You know, that doesn't happen overnight. It begins with little loophole decisions like, oh, we're, we're just flirting, but we're not, we're not crossing any physical lines. You know, you have Christians that go to prison for major tax evasion. Okay? That doesn't happen overnight. It's like, oh, this feels like a deduction. It's like, you know, all these little loophole choices. And people have hated other people with a verse. People have persecuted Jews and murdered Muslims with a verse. Men have dominated their wives with a verse. People have enslaved black people with a verse. People have hated and persecuted races and LGBT community members with a verse. They have found to disregard and mistreat people for whom Jesus died using his Father's word. It's like, just give me a minute. I'll find a theological or biblical justification for just about any behavior I want. That's what loophole Christians do. They ask, how close to the line? How close to sin can I get? without actually sinning. And Jesus ran into this all the time. The law of Moses had been given hundreds and hundreds of years before. By the time Jesus shows up on the scene, uh, the religious leaders, they were so in love with the commands that they forgot the intent of the commander. And they came up with all these other commands to keep people from accidentally violating the actual original commands. They were rules to keep people from breaking the rules. Now, we do this as well. Like, remember growing up, maybe your parents were in the kitchen, maybe you were in the living room, or if you had a basement, you're in the basement, and you're sitting there with your boyfriend, or sitting there with your girlfriend, and suddenly you decide, I'm going to turn off the lights, and suddenly your parents out of nowhere, no, 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 we have a rule, thou shalt not turn off the lights, don't turn off the lights, you're like, you yell at me all the time to turn off the lights, why can't you remember to turn off the lights, I turn them off now, and now you're yelling, it's like, no, it's because they had a rule to keep you from breaking another rule. They didn't want you messing around, right? So they want you to keep the lights on because if the lights are on, it'll keep you from messing around. So the, the real issue was messing around. So we're going to have a rule to keep you from breaking the rules. Or why did our parents give us a curfew? Or for some of you, you've raised kids. You gave them curfews. Why? Uh, maybe it was said to you or you said it because nothing good happens after whatever time was determined that all the bad things happen, right? So after that, well, Jesus shows up And when he shows up, they've got hundreds and hundreds of these. And over time, they've begun to actually equate the rules to keep you from breaking the rules with the actual rules. And it's in one of these conversations that Jesus confronts our tendency to use loopholes when it comes to God because we all deal with this. And by the way, if you're thinking, you know what, I can kind of check out because he's not talking about me, I'm not a loophole Christian, Uh, just so you know, I found that loophole Christians do not know they are loophole Christians. So everybody, just keep paying attention. So this is Matthew 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Now, the tradition of the elders was this body of rules uh, that had been created long after Moses was gone to keep people from accidentally breaking the actual law. So they said, your disciples do not keep the tradition of the elders. They weren't violating the actual law. They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, in the law, just the priests were required to do various ceremonial washings actually up to their elbows so that they were ceremonially clean as they did work in the temple. And as time went by, the Pharisees decided to apply this to everybody. And so all the Jewish people had to do these washings, and over time, it just became part of their religious system. But it was not part of Moses' law. So apparently, Jesus' disciples, they didn't wash in such a way as to satisfy the rule of the elders. So Jesus ignores their question. He's like, I got a better one for you guys. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition?" For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. Now, as a side note, aren't you kind of glad we left that Old Testament law behind? Because none of us would be here. And for those of us that have kids, none of them would be here. Uh, But you, you, he says, them. you've taken theology to empower you to do the very opposite of what God has commanded you to do. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God... They are not to honor their father or mother with it. Here, here's what they did. They actually had the command, honor your father and mother. But they realized Moses didn't say until what age you have to honor your father or mother. How old, you know, they get. Because as your parents get older, honoring your mother and father begins to get expensive. And so they're like, they're like we want to keep the commands of God, but we also want to keep our money. Because, and it's like our, our aging parents, like they're living on and on and they didn't have places then to put them like apparently we do now. And they have like, well, so we've got a great idea. You know, there's this other law that had to do with dedicating everything to God. So they came up with this twist to where they would just dedicate everything they owned to God. And then when their aging parents would go, hey, I could really use a little help with the groceries, a little help with rent. They're like, oh man, I would love to help you out, but I've dedicated everything to God and God might need it. So I'm going to hang on to it. So they manufacture this rule to enable them to not support their parents and not break God's law. And they should not have done this. Thus, Jesus says, You nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Now, it can be easy for us to get all high and mighty about the Pharisees when we read this. But we all do this. We nullify, or in other words, we take the unclear and we fog the clear. You kind of, we'll kind of lean into, you know what, if we just kind of look at it this way and kind of twist it a little bit and ignore this little piece over here, you know, you know I'm, I'm good. You know, ignore this thing that's in plain sight. I'm good. And you've taken what God said and you've twisted it in such a way that it serves your own purposes. And Jesus' response when we do that, you hypocrites. In other words, Jesus doesn't like it when we use his father's words to avoid doing his father's will. Jesus doesn't like it when you use his Father's words uh, to work or loophole or get around doing his will. Now, again, Christians, especially in America, honestly, we, we live this. We, we think this is, is normal. I've talked with many Christians. They actually don't read the Bible And some of them have been honest enough to admit that of all the excuses that they give, you know, I'm busy, I don't have time, it's hard to understand. Some of them have actually been honest and said the real reason I'm afraid to read it is because I might discover something that is going to require me to live differently. So ignorance is bliss. Like if I don't know it's there and I don't read it, then I'm not going to be held accountable to it. And yet intuitively we know this isn't true. I mean, like, where else in life does this work? You know, I'm sorry, officer, I didn't realize this was a 20, you know, a school zone. You do now, here's your ticket. See, we view the, the, the world through this lens of this twisted way of looking at Scripture and the written word, and then there are other Christians, and they look at through their twisted lens uh, of Scripture and the written word, and again, don't miss two weeks from now, but they look at the world differently than, differently than we do, and they, we go, obviously, they don't get it. Or apparently, we're not reading the same Bible, right? This has become the norm for Christians. That's why we just are used to there being hundreds of denominations. That's why there's hundreds of denominations. That's why there are whole groups of churches that are predominantly right-leaning, conservative churches. And then there are others that are predominantly left-leaning, democratic churches. And you listen to these guys preach, and you go, man, do we have different Bibles? I mean, you're sort of taking your whole political agenda and it's become the filter through which you see your Bible. You filter your faith through your politics rather than your politics through your faith. And sometimes you stir up stuff that's really anti-biblical. And again, you spend enough time in the Old and the New Testament and you can justify just about anything and be at odds with other church people, with other Christians using the same Bible. How does that work? It's simple. It's simple. You just become a loophole Christian. You just avoid and ignore what's inconvenient for you and focus on the stuff that other people are or are not doing. And, and what's interesting is that through the years, each generation seems to have its big sin or its big sins that it, it kind of holds up, right? I mean, there was a time that you, you could not be divorced and be a part of most evangelical communities. That was a, non, a divorce was a non-starter. And that kind of came and went. Then it was interracial marriage. If you were in an interracial marriage, then you couldn't belong to a lot, most evangelical churches. Uh, then uh, there was a generation where lick, listening to rock and roll was a violation, and you actually had gatherings where people would come and burn, the, you know, burn all their records and ruin all that good music. And, and, there, and then there was a, a, a generation where dancing, dancing, the consumption of alcohol, because if you consume alcohol, you might dance, and so it's bad. In fact, I know a guy uh, uh, who uh, the alcohol was on his list, because he kind of grew up in that evangelical uh, generation, and uh, he was all, I can't tell you how many times he had bragged to me about alcohol, how alcohol had never sullied his lips, right, never touched alcohol. Well, then a few years ago, because I'm a horrible human being, I find this funny. Uh, he visited the church of his daughter and son-in-law, and uh, they served communion, and so he drank the, the juice, and he thought, that tasted funny. And then afterwards, he found out it was real wine. <laughs> and again, I confess, I'm horrible. And I thought, awesome, I'm never again going to have to hear him say what a better Christian he is because his lips have never been sullied by alcohol. So he was so defeated, and I thought it was so funny. But I have, I have repented, First John 1.9. Uh <laughs> It's so, uh, yeah, yeah. So, but with every generation, every generation, there's always something where theologians or loophole Christians or loophole Christian leaders, you know, they, they kind of hold up these three or four key big sins and they've got a list. But the interesting thing is nothing, everything on their list, uh, they don't struggle with or they're hiding it. And the other interesting thing is they never hold up a list that matches any of the lists in the Bible because there are some sin lists in the Bible, but I've never been aware of a group of Christians who took up the whole list and said, these are equally offensive to God. They pick and choose. And then you go and go, well, hey, what, what about you? Be, you know, you're, you're not that generous. You're not that compassionate. In fact, you're kind of angry and you don't really serve others. And like, ah, look at this. But Jesus showed up and he pushed back. He pushed back and said, look, for just a moment, let's forget the commands." For just a moment, and I want to talk about the intent of the commander. And then he gets to the heart. He gets to the heart of why God even cares about our morality, why he cares about how we do marriage or how we raise kids. Uh, all of that, Jesus reaches way back and says, let's start back to the very beginning of the intent of the commander. A new command I give you, taking you back to the original idea, love one another. This is how everybody's going to know you're my follower, not your theology, not how you interpret verses as I have loved you, that you love one another. And the amazing thing is this kind of unconditional, sacrificial love took hold. And you had Greeks and Romans and North Africans, men and women who embraced Jesus. And this is what drove them. Because before Jesus, they had different worldviews. They had different views of the law. And this became the filter through, they, through which they made every single life and relational decision. So 20, 25 years later, Jesus is gone. There's a church in Rome They're being persecuted. Paul writes them a letter, and he goes back to this basic teaching that it all begins with. Paul says these words, let no debts remain outstanding. In other words, pay your debts. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt, meaning you never pay this one completely off, to love one another. Jesus followers, Christians, I want you to wake up every day understanding that you owe a debt. You are indebted to the people around you. You owe it to them to love them because of the way your heavenly Father loved you. If you were to say, God, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you so much for saving me. Now, what what can I do for you in return without missing a beat? He would say, here's what you can do for me. Love the people around you the way I have loved you. Unconditionally, sacrificially. And then Paul continues, and this part is huge in addressing loophole thinkings when it it comes to to Christians, when it comes to Jesus' followers. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever command there may be, they're all summed up with this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know how powerful this is? Do you, do you, how simplifying this is? How clarifying is? Paul's going, love your neighbor as yourself. That is the filter for life. To make every single decision and the rest of scripture is just commentary on how to love one another. If you don't believe me, go home, open your New Testament, and with that in the back of your mind, begin to read it. And it will be all over the place. And we don't dare take a verse or a passage or a story and use that to mistreat others or withhold love from someone else. You hypocrite. Disciples don't look for workarounds and loopholes. Religious people do. People that are just Christian do. Disciples don't open the Bible trying to figure out how little can I do. In fact, here's a great question for you to go away with today and work through. Disciples ask, when was the last time being a follower of Jesus cost me something? Disciples don't go, hey, I I can you know, if I twist it this way, I can do this and I can be okay. Disciples don't go, you know, I can be sexually intimate with someone that's not my spouse because God will just forgive me. And besides, God is love and he knows we love each other and he understands. And a disciple doesn't go, honey, it says right here you're supposed to submit to me. And then the other, you know, uh, Christian's going, yeah, well, it says right here you're supposed to love me as Christ loved the church. And you're not doing that so well. So, see, Christians use, Christians use the Bible like, Bible like mace. Disciples use the Bible like a mirror. It begins with, how do I love my neighbor as myself? It begins with love others as Jesus loves me. It begins with, in light of what's happening in my singleness or in the classroom, in, what, in light of what's happening in my work or my marriage or my relationships or my business, my family, my prodigal son or daughter, my parents who just don't get it, or my church. What does love require of me? And for Christians, it's just so easy to, to look at my faith through the filter of, of politics in this season, for example, in 2019, as we're coming into an election year, 2020, and just have this whole group of people that I just don't agree with. I don't get along with them. I don't, I'm, gonna, not gonna talk, I'm just going to talk about them. Disciples move in the direction of people they don't like because that's what Jesus did. And this will draw you out of your comfort zone. It will draw you into new kinds of relationships. It will draw you into inviting people over to dinner that you never thought you would invite to your table. It will will lead you into conversations where you actually listen instead of just leveraging everything you've always believed and it has nothing to do with abandoning your faith or compromise. It has nothing to do with going too far to the left or too far to the right. It has everything to do with looking somebody in the eye and going in light of their life experience that has led them to this place, to what they believe and who they are, and and, and everything about them. In light of that, of their past and my current experience, what does love require of me? Now, moment of authenticity. I know that it bugs some of you that I repeat this over and over and over again until you want to go, all right, Chad, we get it. You know, for the love of God, please move on to another subject. But love one another. What does love require of me? Chad, you say over and over and over again. But here's my question. Have you mastered it? Have you mastered this in your, lo- your own life? Hey, am I the only one that struggles to remember this every day? Have... have has this sunk in and grabbed a hold of your heart and mind and begun in the last few months, begun to transform you? I mean, I know just a few weeks ago, like I gave like a a 10-day challenge on this. And and like, I'm not as dumb as I look. I, I know maybe a day or two tops, you know, you guys made it. And then you got wrapped up in life. Has it been that you leave here Sunday after Sunday over the past weeks or months and kind of the moment you walk into the parking lot, you've already kind of mentally gone on to other things? How about this? Has someone recently commented on there being something different about you? Have you had somebody close to you recently take notice, say, notice and say, hey, what you did, or how you handled that situation, or how you spoke, like, wow, like, that was really patient, or that was really generous, or that was really kind, that was really thoughtful, how you handled that, or like, you just, you're becoming more patient. What's up with you? And, and, and I know in so many messages, I come back to the same core principle, but, but here's why. Because for, we, we've got to work to master this, and because for some of you, honestly, as you think about it, your relationship, with these God, with your relationship with God these days is kind of uneventful. Maybe it feels just routine. For some of you, you'd say maybe your relationship with God, honestly, it's become kind of boring maybe you take comfort in knowing that you're going to heaven someday when you die, but honestly, other than that, rather than go down maybe a bold or uncertain or a scary path that God would want to take you, you kind of found a nice park bench along the way, and you're just kind of essentially just enjoying life and looking forward to going to heaven when you die. For, For some of you, if you were honest, you're You're reluctant to begin reading and studying, especially the New Testament or the Bible as a whole, because you're afraid you might read something that might lead you to have to change something. And for some of you, maybe things haven't been best at home, but I'm telling you, you show me a son or a daughter or a roommate or a husband or a wife who who truly decides I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to decide that no matter what I feel, I'm deciding today I have a debt of love. I have a debt of love, and today I'm going to begin every conversation and I'm going to behave towards the people that are in my life or they're going to cross my path towards this person through the filter of what does love require of me? I mean, what if you 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 operated in your singleness or your dating or parented that way? If you responded to your boss that way? What if you responded to your irritating coworkers that way? What if we led that way? What if, as a church, this is a small community was our driving question, we would have to go to multiple services in not very long. Before long, it would be that if this community ceased to exist, our absence would be felt. I mean, can you imagine the transformation that would take place in our homes, in our city, in our community? Because just consider this. Aren't you glad God didn't look for a loophole when it came to his love for you? See, I don't know about you, But I know that I have given God 10 million loophole reasons to not love me. And if he decided not to use any of them to not love me, then how in the world can I possibly think I have the right to look for a leverage of loophole to not love you or to love others the way he loved me? Now, I know this can raise like a hundred questions. Is it complicated? Yes, it's complicated. Is it messy? Yes, it's messy. It's hard. It costs us. It costs us time and thought and effort and patience. Loving others beyond just a hug or a handshake or a like on social media and culture is so inconvenient. Of course, it's hard. It's way easier to just believe stuff. So, again, a few weeks ago, I gave you a challenge to do that every day for 10 days, to just wake up and with every interaction, Before you speak or act or react or plan or respond, ask yourself, what does love require of me? Because again, I'm not as dumb as I look. I know one or two days tops in the past, but I'm just, what if just for a week, between now and 1057 next Sunday? Every time you're eyeball to eyeball with someone or you're interacting over messaging or or on social media, no matter maybe how difficult or struggle uh, the the, the struggle, uh, how things are, if you just pause and you ask, okay, in this moment, I'm going to be a disciple. What does love require of me? I'm telling you, we know from history, it's a transformational question. Some of you, you know from your own marriage, that's a transformational question. Some of you know, For your parents, that would have been a transformational question. Also, for some of you, as I was talking this morning, you were trying to push it down, but you know there's an area of your life that you have been leveraging a loophole you created. You've been leveraging a loophole to avoid doing something you should do, or you've been leveraging a loophole to avoid giving up something that it's time for you to give up. I told you, Sean and I were loophole Christians when it came to our physical relationship for six months. However, what I didn't say is after six months, because we really had immersed ourselves in this new community, this church in, in San, outside San Diego. Uh, we about six months in, we kind of came to the same place as you know what—that yeah, we love each other, we're engaged, and we're committed to each other. But uh, you know what? We need to quit exploiting this loophole. And so uh, we, what love required of us is we decided no more, no more physical intimacy until our wedding night, which was nine months away. And it was the worst nine months of our lives. Like, it was horrible. It was so bad. Like, we fought. And there were times we thought we weren't going to make it because we actually had to relate to one another. And we discovered, oh, my gosh, we are total opposites. I think we're going to kill each other. It was horrible. But was it worth it? Oh, my gosh, Absolutely. Because through it, it revealed something in us, it changed, it transformed something in us by choosing to trust God's way and God's boundaries and God's guidance It forced us to relate and communicate and connect in such a way at a much different level. And as you can see, we in fact did not kill each other yet. But it's been a lifetime of answering this question and responding. And there's many times we we got it wrong. But even in that, the question still applies when we get it wrong. Because what happens is, what does love require of me? I own it. I got it wrong. And you do that, and you get to experience this thing that you can only dream of. And for some of you, if you're honest, it's a little terrifying to dwell too long on the question. Because to actually do what love requires of you is going to cost you something. It's going to require you to to change something or to confess to something or cut something loose, but you're afraid. But I just want to urge you from experience... Don't let fear hold you back. Trust your heavenly father who loves you. Yes, it may be a struggle. And yes, it may be painful for a little while or maybe even a long time. But in the end, it will be worth it. You'll be so glad that you did. So next week, what does love require of you? I'm going to tell you even more specifically, and it's going to be awful. (laughs) And it's going to be wonderful. And it'll be the catalyst. It'll be the catalyst for every one of us. Like this whole spiritual walk, it is a constant growing. It's just one step ahead. And so next week about be about your next step, your growth for change. So let's pray. Father, I I thank you. I thank you so much that we have these words and these interactions of Jesus so that we get an opportunity to get a glimpse of you and what it looks like to love you and to love others as you've loved us. And Father, I pray for each one of us uh, because our, our nature and we can just be prone to justifying so many different things because it's just who we are. It's just my temperament. It's just the way I was raised. There's so many things, Father. And I pray, God, that you would help us to push all of that side because you've called us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I pray for each one of us and those that are listening, God, that you truly help, would help us by the power of what Jesus called your Spirit, our helper, to overcome those things and have the courage to to trust you and to do things your way. I pray, Father, for everyone that is going to make a decision to to close a loophole that they've been leveraging, God, that you would give them the courage, that you would give them the right person to talk to, to hold them accountable and support them in that. And God, that you truly would lead us to where we don't, don't use things to ultimately get our way, but Father, we would pursue your will. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.